Hello, and welcome to the Minimalist Moms podcast. I'm Diane. I'm a mother of three living in Columbus, Ohio. I'm trying to make room in my life for what matters by getting rid of the clutter and living life with purpose. I hope you'll join me on the journey to think more and do with less. Join me today for a conversation with the woman behind the popular Instagram account, Transforming Toddlerhood, Devin Kuntzman. Devin empowers toddler parents to overcome the challenges of toddlerhood, nurture development, and create confidence in their skills through using positive, respectful, and developmentally appropriate parenting tools. Today, we'll be discussing intentional parenting tools you'll need for the toddler years, simple strategies for redirection, and much more. If you're new around here, this is where I always encourage you to pause the podcast. And if you haven't left a rating and review yet, head over to iTunes, which I assume that you're probably on iTunes. So pause the episode, scroll down, leave the Minimalist Moms podcast a five-star review. It means so much to me and it helps other people find this podcast, which ultimately helps it succeed and continue to grow. Thank you so much for doing this in advance. It only should take you 30 seconds and I really appreciate it. As for my minimalist resource this week, I want to share a book with you called Wanting, The Power of Mimetic Desire in Everyday Life. So this book is by Luke Burgess. And I have to tell you, this book has been a game changer with just my perception of society, my own behaviors, the reasoning behind why I do things. So mimetic meaning to imitate other people. The entire book is an exploration on why we want what we want and just ultimately freeing ourselves from chasing those desires that aren't actually ours, but for other people. So, and I think ultimately why medic desire is something that we should consider is because unhealth, what does he say? Unhealthy mimesis keeps people and organizations caught in destructive cycles. If you do read this, you'll start to notice mimetic desire in your everyday life, and it's really hard to not view things through that lens. So I highly recommend this book. All right, I'm excited for you to hear this conversation with Devin. So let's go ahead and get into it. Devin, thanks so much for joining me today on the Minimalist Moms podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Absolutely. I'm excited to have you here too, to talk about toddler discipline and intentional parenting tools that we can use during the toddler years, which I am in right now. And I've already done this twice before my third, and I'm finding it incredibly more difficult this time around. So I can't wait to hear what tips you may have for me, but before we get there, why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself and tell the listeners, if you consider yourself to be a minimalist. Absolutely. Well, I'm a toddler expert and the founder of Transforming Toddlerhood. And my main mission with Transforming Toddlerhood is to dispel the myth that toddlerhood is terrible. So we can change the conversation around the toddler years and be more empowered um, in our relationships with these little ones. And really, my overarching goal is just to really support parents of kiddos ages one to five and overcoming the behavior challenges and nurturing their little one's development and creating confidence in their parenting skills using positive, respectful, developmentally appropriate tools. So that's what um, my business is all about and why I'm here supporting everyone. And I was the original toddler parenting coach on Instagram four years ago when I started out and yeah, toddlerhood is really my passion. Um, in terms of being a minimalist, I do consider myself a minimalist, um, to a great extent. I always think back to this fond memory and I can really call it fond, um, that 
where my husband's French. And for a while we lived in a 250 square foot apartment in Paris where our bathroom was literally one fifth of the apartment. Don't ask me why there was such a big bathroom in such a tiny apartment, but you know, we actually have great memories of living there and we had to be minimalist and super efficient to function and enjoy that space. That is so cool. I did not know that about you. And I'm wondering, well, number one, just really quick. How did you meet him? Did you meet him in Paris when you were there? No. So everyone always asks. And actually we met through, um, my friend from high school. So someone I grew up with, um, went to, went off to college and, um, had a foreign exchange student living with them. And I went somewhere else, but I came to visit for the weekend. And that's how I met my husband probably about 14 years, um, you know, 15 years ago, I know, a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I do look to people in other countries to say, we absolutely can live with far less than we believe that we can. And I do, I don't know. I think that there is a more intentional aspect to their day-to-day life. That's a, I'm obviously generalizing, but just having been to Europe and I've actually been to Africa as well. I'm like, these people seem happier in certain ways. And I wonder if it does have to do with not maybe keeping up with the Joneses as much or living in smaller space. I don't know. I, that again, I'm generalizing. I just think it's curious. Yeah. I think, I think that those are definitely some valid points. And I actually lived in Rwanda for three years on a mountainside about five miles um, off the main road. And uh, where I was the uh, director of a foundation that had an orphanage and a farm. And so I spent three years living there and I felt like I I spent at least like six years of my life, like where I could pack my entire life into about two duffel bags. (laughs) Wow. That's really cool. So I'm wondering in talking about what you do for a living and what we're going to be talking about today, do you feel like those experiences helped you to know how to deal with toddlers? I mean, were you around kids of all different sorts? It sounds like you've just had a lot of experiences that maybe have bled into who you are and what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So my former career prior to starting Transforming Toddlerhood, um, I have a a degree in child development and I'm an ICF certified coach, but I spent many years as a nanny for high profile families all over the world. And so I have lived all over the world. I have worked with toddlers in many different cultures, household dynamics, um, all over. And I've also, you know, taken care of some of the most uh, privileged little kiddos literally in the world and also spent tons of time years with kids at an orphanage in Rwanda. And so I have seen, you know, both sides of, of the spectrum in terms of, you know, resources that children have available to them. And so absolutely all these experiences have influenced my work and the work that I do. And this is why, um, I was actually motivated to start transforming toddlerhood because I started to notice that when we're only focusing on a toddler as their behavior and the behavior we're seeing on the surface, we can really start creating a lot of interpretations of that behavior that feeds into this idea that toddlerhood is terrible. You know, your toddler is being bad, rude, manipulative, and things like this. And I notice a lot of missed opportunities for connection and missed mm-hmm. opportunities for learning that was, was coming from viewing toddlerhood through this lens and leading to just a lot of burnout and frustration and dissatisfaction. And that was the whole motivation for me in starting transforming toddlerhood um, a little over four years ago. 
Yeah, no, that makes sense. I definitely think that there is likely a lot of universal commonalities with kids from all over the world, regardless of where they are. And I'm sure that you've, you've seen that, as you said. So I want to talk more about how we can be intentional with these things that a lot of us are experiencing. And you talk about parenting tools that you use during the toddler years. So what are these tools that you're talking about and how do they help us? Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to parenting tools, I think the biggest thing is, is that the first thing before we can start enacting these tools is shifting our not only mindset on behavior, as I was saying, shifting from this idea that the toddler is having like being bad or rude or manipulative and actually shifting to a more developmental view of what's happening and remembering that lacking, they're lacking impulse control and brain development and life experience. And so they're having a hard time coping and communicating what's happening on the inside. And so when we start to create this shift around the behavior, we can start to shift our definition of discipline from something that we do to a child to get them to comply, to create compliance or to have um, control over them to really shifting to embracing the child as a person, as a human who's learning and growing and realizing that discipline means to learn or to teach. And what we're teaching is skills. We're helping a toddler learn skills. So they're able to have self-control because self-control is what's going to serve a child as they grow up learning to have that self-control versus always looking outside of them for someone to be like, you know, regulating them in terms of like saying, no, don't do this. Don't do that. And things of that nature. And so when we start to create the, these shifts, then we can shift to using positive, respectful, developmentally appropriate tools. So I'm happy to share some of those tools, but, um, I just wanted to like, start with like, okay, what's the context for even using these tools? Absolutely. And since I have you here with me and this is my show, (laughs) I'm going to use myself as an example and get some tips from you. So for example, my two and a half year old is constantly going around and blowing raspberries slash not spitting, but just, you know what I'm talking about? That little like thing that they do with their mouth. He's doing that to people at the park, to adults. And my initial reaction is, okay, we have to get him to stop regardless. Like I just have to get him to stop. But I feel like overwhelmingly, he's probably just trying to communicate something that he doesn't have the words to speak yet. So in the parenting tools that you're, that you have, or that you want us to utilize, as opposed to I'm giving into anger and frustration in that moment, when maybe I can get down on his level and say, let's use our words, or I, I don't know what, what would you suggest I do in a situation like that? Yeah, it's such a great question. So I think that definitely when kids are um, having a behavior specifically like this, it's typically a bid for connection. So they're trying to interact with people, but they're not quite sure how to. Um, And so they might be a little bit nervous. And so this is the way it like comes out, or they might just be testing and being like, oh, look at this thing I can do. I wonder how people are going to respond because toddlers two things we know about toddlers is a, they're little scientists. They love to experiment and explore. And this is how they learn about their environment and in turn about themselves and 
create a sense of self. And that toddler, the, the main overarching goal of toddlerhood is for a child to become their own separate individual. So whenever we try to tell them to stop and not do something and we get like um, our feathers all ruffled, typically they're going to push back and do the opposite because they're developmentally driven to prove that they're their own individual and no longer an extension of their primary caregivers. So then we start thinking, oh my gosh, my kid doesn't listen. They're being so bad, but really they have this developmental drive to be a separate individual. So what we might do in this um, moment is to, first of all, if you're at home and he starts doing it, you might be like, oh, I see you want to practice, you know, blowing raspberries. You can do that in the bathroom or in your room or something like that. And like redirect the behavior to like a place that's more appropriate for them to do that, which is on their own or not to other people. Or in that moment where you're at the park, you might say something like, oh, I wonder what you're trying to say to them. Do you want to play with this little girl? coming in with connection and getting curious. And then once you kind of get to like the root of what's going on, you can kind of be like, oh, well, when you want to play with someone, we say, oh, you want to play or something like that versus blowing raspberries at them. I think that largely with this type of behavior, they're looking to see if we're going to get our feathers ruffled or what's going to happen. And they're just excited to experiment and explore with this new power they have over their bodies as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I've been trying to get advice from all different types of parents in my life, because obviously we all parent differently. And one of the things that I keep hearing is just ignore the behavior. But again, Mm -hmm. it's hard when you're in a public setting. And I would say specifically for this child, he's doing it to, as you say, maybe connect or get a rise out of someone and also seeing like, what are my boundaries? What, what can I get away with? What can I do? So I do like ignoring the behavior, but also like separating him and at home, we can, we can separate him from the situation, uh, to go into certain spaces. Like, I think that that is very helpful, but yeah, it's that other people element that is always really hard when parenting, because I guess it's, we don't want to be perceived as bad parents. Yeah. And that pressure is so real and it can feel uh, really heavy and put us into kind of this fear spiral and then the sphere spiral starts dictating, okay, our responses or, and a lot of times our automatic reactions that we have in these situations. And I think that it's also okay. Like if a child is like continually doing it, it's kind of like, oh, looks like you really want to blow raspberries right now. Um, you, we can, let's go sit on the bench if you want to do that, or you can do that over here or we can go sit in the car until you're done blowing raspberries or something like that, you know, and then we'll try again, something like this. So you're, so kids can see like there's an impact to their behavior. Sometimes this works with different kiddos as well. Another thing is when we think about ignoring the behavior, we Mm want to make sure that if we're ignoring the behavior, we're not ignoring the child. There's a difference. So ignoring the behavior is kind of like not always jumping to address the behavior that we see on the surface and trying to make it stop right away. Because if we are focusing on controlling the behavior, toddlers are going to be like, you can't control me, you know, subconsciously. And they're going to like either increase it or do the opposite of what we're, what we're asking. So 
when we say, okay, ignore the behavior, but not the child, what we're actually doing is like, if we're not ignoring the child, we're trying to get to the feeling emotions and needs mm-hmm. beneath the behavior that's actually creating the behavior. And maybe they do need some space to p- experiment and explore. So it's like, you have to like, think about, okay, well, where is it within my boundaries for them to like, do this thing? Uh-huh. Um, and so sometimes it does, it is helpful just to kind of like, let it go. Um, I guess you could say, but if a child's continuing to do it, then we do need to address what's happening. But again, it's more so starting with the connection piece and trying to get to the root of the behavior before we're like just in setting limit mode and trying to get them to stop. My, one of my biggest tools is the recipe for effective discipline. And that's connection where we try to get to the root of the behavior through curiosity, validation, narration, things like that. Mm -hmm. And then setting limits and following through on them and teaching skills. So children start to learn skills that they can scaffold and start creating self-control. Yeah. And so are those the tools that we're talking about here that we have in our back pocket that we can utilize? Is that what? Yeah. That's like the framework that I use for like all of these like challenging behaviors. I call it the recipe for effective discipline. And typically what we want to, what, what we, our knee jerk reaction has us to go straight to the limit setting, but then we kind of do the limit setting and then we get stuck in this power struggle and then frustration goes up. So when we kind of start at the beginning of the recipe, you know, it'd be kind of like throwing all the ingredients into the bowl if you're making a cake, but not mixing them and then throwing, just like throwing them into like the oven, just like that and be like, oh, wait, we didn't get what we expected at the end here. So yeah. the connection piece is, you know, mixing the ingredients together. And so, yeah. So when we start there, children start to see us as on their team mm-hmm. and trying to like understand them versus an opposing force. When we come in straight with setting limits, we're viewed more as an opposing force. When we come in and start with connection, then we are viewed more as a partner. And mm-hmm. I can't even tell you how many situations in the last month with my private coaching clients that they have just use connection and not even gone on to the, the other area, the other two ingredients in the recipe. Mm -hmm. And they have been able to resolve challenging behavior. Like I could give you a couple of examples if you'd like. No, that was actually my next, my, my next question for you is how are we making parenting harder on ourselves? How are we making discipline harder on ourselves? Because in those moments, yes, if I chose connection versus maybe more authoritarian discipline of him. I think that you're right. It would make my cortisol lower and it would make my stress levels calm down. So I feel like I'm ultimately making it so much harder on myself when I choose to go down that path instead of connection. Exactly. That's exactly what I would say to this is that the way we make it harder is by trying to control a toddler because we're working against their developmental drive versus with it because we're triggering their desire to be an independent individual. So when we start with something like connection, um, say I had a client recently, um, their son was having a really hard time turning off the iPad after watching a show. You know, she started with the connection. She's like, Oh, I know you really love bluey and you wish you could, uh, watch bluey all day long and connecting there with, with him. And then He was still like holding on to the iPad, didn't want to give it up and crying. And so what she did is she just got down on her knees and said, oh, it's really hard to turn it off, isn't it? And then he just looked at her and said, yeah. And then like melted into her arms. 
and then put the iPad down. And that would have never happened if she had just gone into like the power struggle of like trying to take the iPad away because the show was over because that's the limit. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. I have a candid question to ask you. So I'm listening to you say all these things and I obviously you are more seasoned at this. You practice this. This is, it's kind of like with my minimalism, I don't have to overthink it anymore because it's just the way that I live my life. So I'm assuming that that is how you live your life in regards to these things that we're talking about. But do you ever have a moment even now that you feel like you don't, you don't practice what you preach? Oh my gosh. Yeah. We're all human beings. And I think this is what sets me apart. If anyone subscribed to my email newsletter, like or even you can see it reflected in my Instagram, but I'm always talking about how we are all human beings. And the goal, this is probably the second way we make parenting hard on ourselves is that we try to do it perfectly. There is no such thing as doing it perfectly. I always say practice makes progress, not perfection. And the thing is, is that when we are striving to do it perfect, we're like literally trying to take away our humanness and we can't unhumanize, you know, unhumanize ourselves. Like we're human beings. We can't be robots. We can't fully take away our emotions and be emotionless. And so we're going to get triggered. We're going to have moments where, um, we, our resilience is low because we're tired or there's other circumstances happening in life. And that is okay. That Mm -hmm. does not make anyone a bad parent does not make anyone fail at parenting. Not at all. So what I like to say in these moments is that there's always the opportunity to repair the relationship, no matter how challenging things get each and every moment's an opportunity to practice again. Mm -hmm. And we just have to accept the invitation. And so it can be challenging to shift out of, you know, that past based lens of beating ourselves up and all the guilt that comes along with that when we lose it. Mm -hmm. But there is this opportunity if we're willing to kind of shift to a forward facing lens and say, well, okay, what did I learn from this situation? What happened here? Mm-hmm. What do I want to practice next time? And then go repair the relationship with, um, with a kiddo, if we yelled or something like this. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I definitely have noticed that when I ask for forgiveness or I note the mistake that I've made to my ki- my children, it is always really beneficial to repairing our relationship. Yeah. And you're modeling a really beautiful life skill that your kids are learning from you, which is how to take ownership for our you know, words and actions, our behavior. And the best way kids learn is through modeling. Like you can't punish a child into learning that. And if anything, punishment is going to make a child resentful and more indignant, you know? Um, and so that this is the best way to teach this is to model it. And so like by doing that, you're, you're rewiring your brain because it'll gives you space to practice something else. And you're just teaching your children an amazing life skill. Absolutely. Well, Devin, is there anything else that we didn't mention today that you wanted to share with the listeners? Well, you know, I think a great place to start if you're like, oh my gosh, okay, where do I start in my positive, respectful, developmentally appropriate parenting journey? One great tool you can use is focus on and practice acknowledging the behavior you want to see. So in the case of your kiddo with uh, blowing raspberries, 
whenever he's having interactions where he typically would be blowing a raspberry, but he's not just narrate the behavior that he's having. So he sees you seeing his behavior. And this works in so many situations with like sibling conflict, a new, um, a new child around helping around the house, things like that. If we just say what we, what we're observing, uh, our child do, and just narrate it and say it out loud, kids start to notice that we're paying attention to this type of behavior and it motivates them to have more of it. No, that's great advice. Well, Devin, where can we find you if we want to connect with you online or get more of your great advice? Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at transforming toddlerhood or at transforming toddlerhood.com, my website. And if you want to take a look at all of my offerings, including my workshop on effective discipline, and I have another workshop on setting limits, um, you can find that at transforming toddlerhood.com slash Instagram. It just gives like a really quick overview of like all my offerings all in one place. So I'd love to connect with you. Perfect. Well, as we wrap things up here, I'm going to ask you the two questions that I ask every guest. And the first one is what has been a beneficial resource to you that you'd like to share with the listeners? Yeah, I think a really great resource is, um, zero to three.org. They've done a really great study where, um, surveying parents nationwide about the early years and about their expectations for toddler, uh, behavior and development. And this study is really interesting to hear because you, and take a look at, because we can see that we totally overestimate children's emotional, social, emotional capabilities. And so I think that uh, zero to three is just an awesome resource as that study to help us create realistic expectations in terms of what to expect from toddlers. Great. I'll be sure to include that in the show notes. My last question for you is what is something that you can't stop talking about? Oh my goodness. Well, if, if anyone who's like knows me in in life, I'm always talking about the beach and specifically the Bahamas. We try to spend a few weeks in the Bahamas every year in the out islands. And I love the beach and I could just like live on the beach every day of my life. And so, uh, yeah, if you spend any time with me, the Bahamas is probably going to come up. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I told my husband just yesterday, I'm like, we've never taken a romantic type vacation to a beach together. So I'm like, let's get that on the calendar for next year. Sans kids. I don't want to take the kids. Yeah. That sounds amazing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, Devin, thanks again so much for your advice. I'm definitely going to implement that connection first and see if it helps me with this whole blowing raspberries thing. So I appreciate you. And I thank you for your time today. Yeah, you're welcome. What did you think of the episode? I invite you to keep the conversation going at minimalistmomspodcast.com. There you'll find links to the Instagram account, Facebook page, and where you can find me all around the web. Thank you for joining up on this journey. I wish you a lovely week as you think more and do with less.